Welcome to your upfront moment. We're building a confidence revolution. Hi friends, I'm Lauren Curry, the founder of Upfront. We're an organisation on a mission to change confidence for 1 million women and non-binary people by 2023. And we do this in three ways. We transform your relationship and habits around confidence, power and visibility through our six-week online course. Each cohort is called a bond. Bond is the collective noun for a group of women and over a thousand women have graduated from a bond from over 20 different countries. We build community, real, genuine, human community, where women learn how to stand up for themselves and each other. We hold each other to account. We celebrate each other and learn together. Our community is Global Bond. We create content that will inspire, challenge and motivate you to be upfront. We are here to change confidence, not women. Upfront Moment is designed to kick your week off with confidence, self-compassion and agency. Hi friends, welcome back to your Upfront Moment. This week I have an incredible guest for you, Kat Veloss. Now, so many of you wrote to me after our episode on friendship with Najla and I. So you are going to love this. Kat Veloss is a trusted expert on the power of cultivating meaningful connections. Her focus is on adult friendship and community building. She's the author of a brilliant book called We Should Get Together, The Secret to Cultivating Better Friendships. Let's go. Good morning, Kat. Welcome to your Upfront Moment. I'm so happy you're here. I have been following your work through the windows of Instagram for a while. I know lots of the women in the Upfront community are big fans of your work, especially the pieces around how to ask how are you and how to do that in different and better ways that build kind of meaningful connections. So I'd love to get into get into that part of your work but tell us who you are who is Kat Velos who are you what do you care about so yeah hi my name is Kat Velos uh, for those who are listening and aren't familiar with me I'm the author of a book called we should get together the secret to cultivating better friendships and uh, for over 20 years I was a designer and uh, program director professionally and I decided <laughs> after that that long of a career um, that I wanted to use those skills in a different way. And so the focus of my work now is around helping people to design experiences of connection and belonging into their lives and workplaces. And that decision uh, to pivot really did come out of what I learned in writing We Should Get Together and in everything that happened after the book was released and the way that the conversation around friendship and connection and community in adulthood uh, really has come to the forefront in the last few years. And what I saw during the five years I was working on the book is that it wasn't a conversation we were having enough and it was really, really important that we do. And it is a brilliant, beautiful book. I have my own copy and we will link to your book 
in the show notes so folk can get their hands on theirs. But as you know, the work that we do here at Upfront is all about confidence and we both share a design background, which is interesting. And I'm really curious, you know, you've written a book, you've pivoted into a whole new career, you're creating a very distinct conversation in a new space. So I'd love to know a little bit about your journey with confidence. Is there a story you could tell us about a key moment in your journey with confidence? Yeah, I love this question. And I love the focus of the work that you're doing as well on this topic. And, you know, when I think back to a pivotal moment or a time in my life where uh there was a boost in confidence or an awareness that came to me. It's funny because at the moment, I don't think I realized what was actually happening at the time. And it's only in retrospect, looking back at it, that the significance of it becomes clear. And it's a it's an experience that I reference a lot when people ask me about writing my book and about like, they're like, how did you know you could write a book? Or like, did you ever feel like you had to like get an agent or any of these things. And I'm like, no, of course, no, like it never crossed my mind. And they're like, well, why not? And it's because my very first job out of college as a designer, I was working for an alternative news weekly that was independently owned and operated. It was the only source of progressive news in Northeast Florida. And it was profound to me as, you know, as a designer, I was designing the cover and doing the editorial layout. And every seven days, we published a book, which was between 80 to 120 pages. That's a and, lot of books. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a weekly magazine. And so it has editorial and arts and entertainment and all of these things. And I was surrounded by brilliant writers, um, other designers. Like it was just a really significant experience to be a part of a publishing process where I realized that, yeah, if you get your act together, you can put out a book quite quickly that is really um, important to the community. And we did this every single week. And I worked there for about four years. So for about 200 weeks straight, I was in the process of releasing a piece of um, editorial content that, you know, the, the whole team obviously is a part of creating, not just me. But that experience really showed me that you don't have to ask for permission to share your writing with the world. You don't have to, um, you know, hold yourself back and feel like you can't share your writing. At that time, I also had started a literary community in my in my town, and it was a, we met every two weeks and shared creative writing and poetry, and it and it was just from the community. It was just us getting together and saying like, this is important to all of us. Like, let's share it together. And so very, very early in my adulthood, I had this experience of, oh, I write? Cool, you write. Let's share what we have to write. Let's do that. And so it never occurred to me later on when I was writing We Should Get Together that I had to ask for someone's permission to share it with the world because I had already been for years sharing my writing in multiple ways and sharing my design in multiple ways. And so I think that that gave me the confidence to know that I could do it. It certainly gave me a lot of practical experience <laughs> as well, having design skills, having writing skills, having um, that as a practice in my life. But it also, um, I think, definitely did feed that sense of confidence and knowing that, like, of course I can do this thing. I, I have done it before yeah. and I've been around many, many people who, who do this. So that's that's a story that I like to think about and that I honestly think about quite often. And, I, and I'm glad that you asked. So thank you. Yeah, I love that story. And it does make me think about my own kind of answer to that question 
I often think about how my training as a designer and my design craft is a huge part of what has given me this bias towards action and kind of bias towards shipping, prototyping, learning by doing, making, putting it out there. And it wasn't really until kind of halfway through my career I started to understand that 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 is such a huge block for many, many people like an intense barrier you know there's million pound industries now built around helping people overcome those blocks and I do think there's something really special about design education and the craft of studying how you make an invisible thing become visible how you make an idea become real that just strengthens those muscles and of course from quite a young age so yeah I love I love that and I and I wonder what I wonder what the next moment will be where you do the big scary thing and it, it doesn't even occur to you to ask for permission. That feels <laughs> fun to imagine. <laughs> and so you so you wrote your book all about friendship. We should get together, the secret to cultivating better friendships. And friendship is a really big theme in our upfront community. I think like you hinted at, you know, going through think what we're calling now the the last three years of perma crisis has put an enormous strain on friendships and I would love to know like from you know the women that you work with of course everybody wants to be a good friend you want to have good friends but what are the biggest challenges that you see with the women that you work with and meet through your through your writing and through your practice what are the biggest challenges for them and building genuine lasting friendships mm-hmm. great question um and i will preface this by saying you know there's definitely a lot of women identified folks in my community but the the learnings that i've had from researching this question around adult friendship and what gets in the way and and what helps people succeed and where do they struggle it's actually across gender i have many people in my reader community who identify as non-binary or as men or as gender fluid or whatever it might be so i, I want to preface it by saying that it's it's not just something experienced by women although there are of course a lot of women in my um, reader community as well and so in the book i talk about the four main challenges that people experience with friendship so one of them is hypermobility, which is the uh, quick pace with which people move through the world, whether that's moving through towns and cities and states and countries or moving from job to job. Like, But there's this sense of um, one of the biggest reasons why people lose their friendships in adulthood is they say their friends moved away or they moved away from the friends they had. Yeah. Uh, and the other challenge, the second one is busyness, really feeling stretched too thin, having so many things on the plate and then friendship getting pushed off the plate. (laughs) Um, The third challenge has to do with relationships and family. Uh, Not necessarily that those are bad things, but in adulthood, it takes a lot of time to maintain like a big, serious adult relationship and, and partnership, as well as if someone chooses to have children. And so the time that's necessary to maintain those relationships is often time that gets pulled away from friendship. And then the very last challenge I talk about in the book is difficulty establishing intimacy. So a lot of people feel like they have, you know, just hundreds of acquaintances and people they make small talk with, but they don't know how to get deeper. They don't know how to get closer. 
um, whether it's through different uh, phases of life, different compatibility, unclear uh, interest on the other side. Does this other person want to have a closer friendship or not? Or do they just want to keep making small talk? And then sometimes what comes in there as well is a, a big frustration for a lot of folks is lack of reciprocity. So feeling like they're doing all the reaching out, all the like support actions to maintain that friendship, but they're not getting met equally on the other side for any number of reasons. Oh, I just feel like sad hearing all those because yeah. I can relate to every single one in different ways. I'm sure folks listening can. Yeah, a lot of people can. And I and I really, uh, in the book, I work quite hard to make sure that the, the findings about this and the research isn't a downer. Uh, I have a lot of like, <laughs> like I'm an illustrator and I like drew a lot of cartoons and tried to bring a sense of levity to it. And there's also for every single challenge that's talked about in the book, there's also like a host of things that you can do, like action steps that you can take. If you're like, oh, this is the thing I'm dealing with. And it's like, cool, here's like 12 different ways you can approach that based on your personality and your preferences and how you want to, how you want to approach it. Maybe could I ask you about the first one? Cause sure. I think that's the biggest one. For me, having just moved, well, I've moved a lot throughout my life and then moved from London to Sweden two years ago. So here with totally different culture, different language. Yeah. What do you what do you say for for folks who are in that? Yeah, good question. I so one question I'd like to ask in return is, do you have a sense of how long you're planning to stay in Sweden or is it kind of question mark? (laughs) Good question. No, I think so. So I have a son and he's nearly five. And so I think we feel fairly sure that we would like him to be educated here. Yeah. You know, our intention is to buy a house here. You know, we've been here two years now. And I think the way we've kind of frame it is until there's somewhere else we'd rather be, Mm -hmm. this is where we want to be. And so I would say, you know, at least another five years. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, so my, I guess the short, the shortcut <laughs> advice I would give for someone in that situation is no matter where you are, whether you think you'll be there for a year or five years or 10 years, approach your uh, actions towards making friends and community as if this is the only place you will ever live for the rest of your life. And whatever actions you would take to cultivate your friendships or to join uh, neighborhood programs or whatever it might be, whatever actions you would take if you were like really rooting down, do those things anyway. Sometimes what I often found in the interviews I did with folks who who had this as a, as a very present part of their life is they said that they knew that they were going to be leaving that city or state or country within like a couple of years And so they're like, oh, it's not really worth it to try to like make a bunch of friends here because I'm going to leave soon. Um, And unfortunately, what that means is they never really get that sense of feeling fully rooted in where they are because it's almost like uh, going somewhere and never unpacking your suitcase all the way or like never unpacking all your moving boxes all the way. And it psychologically creates this distance that's like, I don't really live here. This is temporary. But when we never really feel actually fully present in that place, we also cut ourselves off from the benefit of being fully connected to that place. And so it creates this sense of like transiency that never really turns off. And so I would say, go ahead and make those friends do the things that you would have would have done if you knew this was your forever place. And it's worth it because the fact is, whether you know you're planning to move or whether it's just an inevitability that our friends are going to move, it's going to be really nice to have friends to visit in whatever 
place that they move to next, or they might want to come visit you at the next place you live. And this uh, hypermobility, the speed at which people move through life and through places has actually increased a lot over the last several decades. And I don't imagine it's going to slow down a whole lot, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Hi friends, I'm here to tell you all about our conference. On March the 11th in Glasgow in Scotland, we are hosting our very first conference up front and centre. And our theme is activating grace in a world on fire. Because I know that you've spent the last three years lurching from one unprecedented event to another. You're hungry for community, hope and real significant change. How can we all show up in the world with less overwhelm and more confidence? Grace. We have got an incredible lineup. You can join us in person or digitally. Go to upfrontandcentre.com to find out more and get your tickets. I can't wait to meet you in person. Yeah, no, I, I do really love that advice, Kat. And I can feel my, you know, I definitely had a reaction to it. It was like, oh, that feels... Big, right? <laughs> a bit spicy, a bit like, oh. Because I'm definitely not doing that, you know. Uh -huh. I think when I first came, it was very much like give myself permission to just survive and get settled. You know, let's get our, how do we pay bills? How do we get TV? Mm -hmm. <laughs> These types of things. And now, you know, I kind of said to myself after the summer break, you know, I, I'm I'm going to be much more intentional now. So, if anybody listening is in Stockholm, send me send me a message. Let's have that fika. Um, yeah, and I'm I I would love to know kind of why, because obviously you're so passionate about this, and I can see your face light up when you tell the stories. You've written a whole book. You talk about it all the time like why why do you think this why friendship like why is this the thing you think we need to be talking about and I think that the next half of that question is what do you think is missing from the kind of dominant narratives we hear in society around friendships mm -hmm. yeah so there's multiple reasons why this is really important to me and particularly since I started working on this book before the COVID-19 pandemic one of the things that was a, a very motivating factor for me uh, at that early time of, of the writing and the research is the fact that we here in the United States and to some extent around the world, but since I'm based in the U.S., most of my research is here. And it's that there's a loneliness epidemic and it's been documented for many, many decades, but it's kind of flown under the radar, which has to do with how connected people feel in their life to the others around them. So there's a lot of different surveys that uh, suss out how connected people feel or disconnected. And, and they ask questions like, in a time of need, do you know who you would turn to? Or how many people would you consider a close confidant? or um, when you have something to celebrate or that you're struggling with, like who can you go to in those times? And unfortunately, over time, the number of people that people can name or list <laughs> has shrank. Um, also, the amount of trust that people tend to place in others and strangers has shrank. And unfortunately, here in the States, at least, uh, the loneliness epidemic had 
the stats at just around 50% in 2018 of people saying that they felt lonely on a regular basis, uh, either some or all of the time. And uh, more recently in 2021, that stat has risen to 61%. Of course, we know part of that was the pandemic, um, but it's not getting better. And unfortunately, this isn't just uh, an emotional challenge. Like Feeling lonely is hard, but it also actually is a public health crisis because it affects our physical health as well. All the dimensions of health overlap and interact with each other. And social health or or social disconnection is actually one of the things that affects physical health. It affects your heart uh, heart health. Cardiovascular disease is is up for people who feel chronically lonely, as well as uh, early onset dementia, uh, sleep issues, anxiety, depression. All of these things go up and they actually create a a physical health crisis, public health crisis. And so for that reason, it's really, really important that we think about how connection fits into the overall picture of wellness in our lives. Because we, what we see is that the people who have the strongest social bonds tend to live the longest, have the less, have less health problems as well and lead healthier, happier lives. And that's really what I want for society. And that's really what I think probably all of us want for society, you know? And so friendship is a huge part of that. Um, because it's it's different than a family relationship where sometimes people feel obligation or like you didn't pick these people <laughs> and it's different than a romantic relationship which is often a one-on-one relationship and it's a lot of effort to rely on one person for all your social emotional needs and so friendship which is the uh, next place to find connection to find ongoing sources of support and joy and celebration and and struggling together and all of these things is is the place to is to place to turn and to answer the second half of your question about what i think is missing in the conversation about friendship or something that we don't talk about a lot you know i think about how quickly our world has changed in the last couple of decades and one thing that strikes me is that when I, to use myself as an example, when I made my first big move as an adult from one side of the country to the other, one of my co workers gave me as a going away present an address book. And it was a physical <laughs> address book. This was before <laughs> smartphones. It was a physical book. It was alphabetical. And you would write in the addresses of all the people you wanted to keep in touch with. Mm-hmm. And I would send letters and postcards. And I had, I had this address book for many years. And it sounds really antiquated and like so vintage now to think of doing that because we have an address book on our phone and on the mm-hmm. computer. But in the time that, you know, smartphones were invented and then uh, certainly social media and email and all of these other electronic ways of keeping in touch with people, what has happened in the last just 20 or 30 years is that we've gone from a world where the people that you consider your friends can fit inside of an address book to the people that you consider your friends or online friends even, is like a limitless number Mm -hmm. of people. And because we can hold on in the online world to so many tenuous connections, what can happen is that the limited amount of energy that we have as one human being gets spread across hundreds or thousands of people whose attention we're trying to maintain and who we're trying to continue to share with in social networks, um, social media, rather than saying, my friends are these 25 people in my address book, and I'm going to maintain my close connections with actually those people. And so it's kind of bittersweet because I'm not advocating to say like, oh gosh, you should only have 25 friends or, or whatnot. But I think that we trade something, we give something up when we went from the world of, um, 
closer, longer held, deeper connections with fewer people to now very spread out, very light, often very tenuous, very um, ephemeral connections with so many people online. And because we are connected on LinkedIn and Instagram and and not Twitter so much anymore, but um, (laughs) we never let go, but we also can't get as deep. And so that's something I think about a lot. I write about it in the book a bit, and I think it's a part of the conversation we don't have a lot because we assume in our culture that more is always better. And unfortunately, actually, I think less is more. Yeah. Having fewer connections that actually go really, really deep is healthier. And that's borne out in some of the research as well. So what would be your your ask of the listener today? If there was something that they could go do or think about or notice more that would help them along this path of moving towards the fewer, deeper connections rather than the spreading their energy too thin. Mm -hmm. I would invite the listeners to think about, you know, who are the closest people in your life, in your friend circle, let's say, who do you wish you were closer to? And what would it take to create that closeness? Is it needing to have the courage to open up a conversation with that person? Is it Uh, needing to be a little more vulnerable when you have those conversations and what you share about yourself? Is it inviting a sense of novelty and playfulness and and exploration and adventure to your life and what you share with this friend? Or do you always, you know, just get the coffee? I mean, think about what's missing and think about what you're willing to do to help create it and then have a really warm, loving invitation that you extend to those people to come into greater closeness with you. And in my TED Talk, the whole thing is about invitations and how powerful it can be to craft a very simple invitation to greater closeness. And for anyone who's nervous about trying that or wants to do it, uh, I encourage them to watch watch the talk. It's online on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, we'll link it in the show notes. And I think when I hear you talk about those things and imagine finding the courage, feeling vulnerable, stepping outside your comfort zone. You know, for me, that's when it all, it's connecting back to confidence and trusting yourself, believing in yourself. And so I'd love to ask you the question that I ask all our Upfront Moment guests. So we're on a mission to support 1 million women and non-binary people with their confidence, their power and their visibility. And I would love to hear from your perspective and how you see the world how the world will change how will it feel and be different when we achieve that goal I love this goal and I'm totally here for it (laughs) I cannot wait I I would totally support this because the fact is the world we live in today is the uh, outcome of the patriarchy and I I don't think it's working that great no there's a few (laughs) a few red flags just a few noticed it's not working that great. So I'm here for the matrix. I'm here for the non-binary archy or whatever it is. And I, I'm ready to um, live in that world where the balance of power is shifted. The balance of priority is shifted. Um, having a, a world that is more embracing of, of all the different ways that we show up in the world and in all the different ways that we need to show up for each other in community like not just our local community, but our global community and seeing beyond just money and power and like, 
I'm just so ready. I, I, I'm ready for you to succeed at this goal and I want to live in that world. <laughs> yes, we're ready. We're on it. We're working hard. It's happening. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a lovely conversation and I, I really appreciate how you are taking something which I think at times can feel quite emotional, quite heavy, vulnerable. And, you know, I, this conversation for me has felt very warm and hopeful and I think that that's you know that's what we need to go into these friendship ideas activities conversations with yeah so thank you for sharing your wisdom and your stories with us and I encourage folks listening make sure you follow Kat on Instagram she's got some awesome free downloads on her website you can buy her book watch her TEDx talk all those links will be in the show notes yeah, and anyone who wants to reach out as well, the best way to find me is actually through my newsletter at we should get together.com. Hop on the newsletter, send it twice a month, and I'd love to support you on your journey of friendship. This week, your upfront challenge is exactly what Kat invited you to do. Who are the closest people in your friend circle? Who do you wish you were closer to? And what would it take to create that closeness? Is it about needing to have more courage to open up the conversation in the first place? Is it about being more vulnerable with what you share with that person? Is it about inviting more playfulness into your friendship? Good luck. Let me know how you go. Hi friends, have you got your ticket for Upfront and Centre yet? We are coming together on March the 11th in Scotland to celebrate all things grace. Our theme is activating grace in a world on fire. We are hosting a full day and night event with 300 of you in person. You can join us in person or digitally, conference in the day and a party at night. Upfront and Centre is your opportunity to meet like-minded people, to activate your confidence in a world that doesn't often prioritise your body, your rights and your story. We'll be gathering in one of the most unique and historical areas of Scotland, Bad in the Barras in Glasgow, a place full of art, colour and laughter and characters you will not find anywhere else. Go to upfrontandcentre.com to get your ticket and I'll see you on the dance floor. Bye.